You are listening to Doc Watson's Boxing Update in association with Primal Radio. All right, Primal Radio, we are back. Tom, I'm excited for today's show. Yeah, so am I, so am I. I wanted to start with a, a, a funny topic, right? When Mayweather fought McGregor, everyone knows I'm a massive McGregor fan. Right, yeah. Doc Watson was a bit of a snob about the boxer's going to win and like... He was very much, I told you so afterwards. Last night, we had a sort of similar thing with Paulie Magliani, or whatever his name is, versus Lobov. (laughs) But in a bare-knuckle format, and the MMA fighters won, who wins bare-knuckle McGregor versus Mayweather? Boom. Mayweather. It's not even a question, Tom. Jim and I like Mayweather. (laughs) He's like, that's not the answer I'm looking for. That's not the answer I'm looking for. I know, but that's just tough shit. If you watched that fight last night, I did. I haven't actually, but I I, I watched it. It wasn't great, was it? Malinardi controlled the first three rounds basically with movement and feints. He threw a few jabs, but. He didn't use it as a southpaw. He didn't use his rear hand really at all. You know, he's old in boxing terms and a, and a bit shot yeah. or, or concerned about getting hit. And then well, obviously the other back, guys. If we could, and then a lot of goes to fight. How this all came about. Why? I don't even really know what their issue was. Was it because McGregor supposedly dropped Pauly in camp and Lubov was talking shit to him? Is that how it all came to be? Yeah, I think it's that. I think it stems from that beef where McGregor was saying, you know, that the sparring sessions were easy and he dropped him. But I'm not sure exactly what the beef was between those two. Well, that's kind of McGregor's right-hand man, so maybe he uh, just kind of stepped up. and. But that is true, though. What's that? McGregor did bang him out. Yeah. Inspire, no, I, be- inspiring, I, be- I believe but... that may have happened. But in defense of Pauly, Pauly is past his prime. He was, you know, a, a few years and was never a power puncher. And, and McGregor, with his awkwardness, his reach, may have possibly dropped Pauly. It was a tough guy, though, wasn't he? You it's know, tough. if you saw Malignaggi fight Cotto, beating that he got, and yet he wouldn't quit. His face what? was swollen grotesquely. And it was a tough, I mean, he may have been a very, very light puncher, you know, in boxing terms, but. He was a tough kid, wasn't he, Malignaggi? You know, so then they, they made this happen against the bare-knuckle thing, which is has taken root, which I'm shocked. I believe Feldman's a local promoter in the Philly area, and he's kind of grown it. And I'm shocked it's getting the inroads it's getting. I find that, in general, it's usually fighters that are past their prime, whether it be MMA or boxing, or not good enough to be at the top of the food chain in either one of those sports. The guy that just fought Malignaggi was dropped from the UFC after right. three or four back-to-back defeats. And his record is something like 14 wins, 13 losses, or, or the other way around. It's, you, you know, it, right. so, so he's clearly not you know, in that sort of top spot in the UFC. He's gone into that. Malignaggi you know, hasn't boxed in two years and was stopped by Sam Eggington, you know, who's a domestic-level British fighter. Right, right. Malignaggi was at one point a genuine world-level operator. So how far he has dropped, I guess not yeah. that many people are too keen on getting in a bare-knuckle 
boxing match. Malinaji, he he controlled him with the jab and with movement. Lobov, he uh, caught him with a couple good shots. You know, being hit with a bare knuckle or an MMA glove versus a boxing glove is a different feeling. But Malinaji only fought an eight-ounce glove, so it's not a tremendous difference. I mean, knuckles on your face. <laughs> it's a different world, but... Uh, You've done a whole load of uh, bare-knuckle fights, right? Yes, correct. And that's why you look so great these days. I do. When I did stuff like that, it wasn't mainstream. It was just kind of done in shithole areas. and Bare-knuckle was always more like underground, wasn't it? It was right, and it still it still is for that. And often, look, the guys who are doing it are really tough guys, but probably aren't really super skilled boxers. They yeah. would do real good in a pub fight, and probably beat right. the shit out of everybody. Is boxing or MMA better suited to that discipline? Interesting. I think MMA is, and here's why: because of the. Because of the dirty boxing aspect of it. Now, I don't really know all the rules of what they're going by. The fact that I can tie the back of your head up and uppercut you, it, it changes the game a lot. Um, I'm not sure what the exact rules are in the Karen Bare Knuckle boxing setup is. I don't know. I'm not familiar with it. But I could hold the back when I had some fights. <laughs> I could grab the back of your head and just punch you in the nose, which is completely illegal in boxing. So if you're a pure boxer yeah. and you're not used to these rules, that will throw you off. And I think in that fight last night, that happened a couple of times. And Malinaji didn't really know what to do with it. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because that's, in my opinion, not a particularly big thing to learn. But like typical martial, like kickboxer or, or MMA fighter would be experiencing a bit of that week in, week out in sparring. And I guess average boxer would be doing everything to avoid anything like that because it's so, you know, you're not allowed to do that. Or the ref steps in and breaks you up. You know, they'll, they'll right. give you every opportunity working it, but you can't grab and hold. And in that yeah. clinch and that dirty boxing, grabbing and turning on angles, is, it's pretty tough. I love fighting in that. But like sometimes well, when we spar at the gym, we just do what we call just dirty boxing. There's no takedowns yeah. or nothing. We're in some side of a clinch and we're just punching. We're not even using knees. God damn, is it fun. <laughs> For the average person, we go, what the hell are you doing? But we have a lot of fun doing it just because it's fun. One thing I noticed watching some of the bare knuckle is that doesn't seem to be as many punches landed because each fighter is, I think, exerting a lot more caution and really trying to like land a shot and not take one in return. And with boxing, you get a bit closer and into punching range and you both start letting your shots go. And so, you know, I was thinking almost like which one is actually tougher because in a boxing match, you might get hit with a lot more punches, you know, that have got that thudding impact in a bare knuckle fight. Maybe you would get hit with fewer, but they would slice you up to pieces. In fact, if you saw Malignaggi, he was saying afterwards, I think I only got hit with one or two clean punches all night and he was seriously sporting the worst cut that I've right. ever seen him with. In fact, you, you rarely see a boxer cut as badly as Malignaggi was cut last night. It wasn't bleeding, but he's... Right, yeah, the bare knuckles will cut you bad. I also think, by the way, we want to get up, is that it has to do with you hurting your fucking hands. And when I punch you in the skull, it hurts. Yeah. We spend a lot of time protecting our fighters' hands, you know, wrapping them appropriately and and then popping in the gloves. All that is essential because your hands are not meant to punch somebody on the 
on their bowling ball head. Andy went to um, the ring, like Johnny Mac's pub the other day, because uh-huh. he was in London. And if you look around the ring, you'll see all the old boxers and they'll, they'll be standing, you know, uh, in a Southport lead. And the, the reason for that is they wanted to have their heart back, which, which uh, the term skip a beat, when your heart skips a beat, that came from like boxing because one of the objectives was, you know, hit someone in their, in their heart. The hands would be low because this was before, you know, the days of gloves. Once they introduced the gloves, that was when all the brain damage and death started to come in. So it was a safety measure, but actually it worked the other way because then people started hitting to the head. They didn't use to hit to the head to protect their hands. That's a bit of boxing. And, and by the way, you'll absorb a lot more shots to the head and, and your willingness to do that. I know I was one of those guys. I've been hit 10,000 times in the head and the jury's still out as to what damage may have incurred. <laughs> I just don't know. But you'll know when I start dribbling on myself and go off topic. <laughs> the think, show. What were we, we should, talking about? We should but anyway, I'm not sure if I'm going yet. We'll see. I mean, it was a, a kind of a boring fight. Yeah, I watched. It was like you see better action on the Tuesday night at Primal Gym. Do you know what surprised me though, Jim? Though was that the way that Luboff, the way he was, he came forward with his stance was like a thing of beauty. He had the hands up, but the elbows kind of slightly out. The midsection was open, but really his his face was quite open as well because his guard was so wide. And I just couldn't <laughs> understand why Malinaji wasn't throwing a good jab and then shooting that southpaw you know, left hand through the middle. And I, I really thought that a, a top-level boxer would have literally just picked holes at him. But it seemed like Malignaggi didn't really want to let his hands go. Maybe there's a number of reasons for that. You know, his age and, and, and stage of life and whatnot might be uh, might be part of it. But it seemed like he didn't throw, you know, maybe through one or two, I don't know. But he, he, didn't, he didn't throw any kind of rear hand punches. You're always making excuses for the boxers. I'm not really an excuse. It's more, I was actually sitting there going, we ain't doing enough. Right. Anyone watching you, if he was orthodox, he'd have been open to a right cross. And if he was a southpaw, he was open to your left cross because his hands were high but wide, you know, and there wasn't a lot of movement there. So let's, go <laughs> let's talk on. about your boxing. Gives a shit about that. Do you want to go over the Ruiz fight first or do you want to go over the Fury fight first? lot going on, isn't there, all of a sudden? Right. With, uh... Exciting. The heavyweight division, unlike bare knuckle boxing, this is rather exciting. The heavy... There's new life in the heavyweight division, and it what? is exciting. Let's start with Ruiz. I mean, Andy Ruiz was completely underestimated, really pretty much by boxing pundit, except for a few, and maybe Joshua himself. He brought it, you know, winning the fight against Joshua, which surprised the world. With that knockout, yeah. I think we even like briefly acknowledged, you know, that he had some skills and that maybe was a potentially a, a tougher test than Miller. You know, even those in the know were giving him some credit for the fact that he had a, a good amateur career. He was known to be a good combination puncher. He's known to be kind of match fit despite his appearance. And yet, hey, listen, he's got no chance, right? It's going to be over in two or three rounds because he's facing Joshua. And, you know, I had to agree with that. I fancied that it might go, you know, four to six, but really had no doubts of the outcome. 
and wow, when he went <laughs> down in the third round, I think that was the script. And he obviously hadn't read the script. He right. tore it up and he got back up. And from that point on, actually, he showed a really good chin. I mean, he did. He took some fucking great shot. Was it in the in that seventh round? He Joshua landed a really good one-two, snapped Andy Ruiz's head back, and almost before Ruiz's head had sprung back into place, he was launching his own kind of counterattack. Sure. And you could just see that Joshua's thinking, "Christ, I just hit you with my best shot." <laughs> Ruiz was knocked down when he was knocked down. Really, everyone, I agree. And I even thought, ah, oh, just a matter of time. Ruiz looks up. I, I, I watch it half a dozen, dozen times. He looks up he, and you see him like, fuck, that was a good shot. Like, I think he was even surprised he got caught. And then came back and stepped on the gas and went right after him and knocked Joshua down. That was pivotal. Yeah, Joshua said he couldn't remember anything after that. Like the rest of the fight, he can't remember any of it. Oh, I didn't know that. Is that right? He was acting very strange after the fight. The whole thing was very weird behavior from, from Joshua. But I mean, back to Ruiz, as you say, it was like he thought, wow, that was a good shot. And, it, you, you know, like, oh, I've just been hit by, okay, now we're going to have it. You know, and he kind of got up and he really brought it. And, you know, he, he was Good, wasn't he? I mean, he got inside the reach. He was letting the shots go with both hands. Maybe not a, a particularly big puncher, but was, was hitting Joshua with a lot. He was landing often and, and with good enough power. Uh, you know, good shots. Showed a good chin. Showed that he's fit and that he's got absolute belief. I think it's a very, very difficult defeat to come back from. You know, it wasn't like, a shootout, and he got done by one punch. This must have taken something from, from Joshua in the way that he seemed to fall apart physically and mentally in the fight. Right. right. I would say he was the most credible opponent of the, you know, looking at those three fights, he's, Ruiz is the only one that's inside the top 10. I mean, he is 10th, but he is in the top 10. Sure. And... I watch highlights of him and it's dangerous to watch highlights because you see the best of a fighter. But I was thinking this right. guy's got good hands, you know. It, um... If you put Ruiz in with Brizal or Tom Schwartz, I mean, you know, it's, it's Ruiz is, is doing the business, isn't he? So in hindsight, I guess we probably would have said he was the most credible opponent of, of the lot anyway. He's a good boxer. For me, it's like, as much as I want to praise Andy Ruiz, and I and I kind of do because I think I think it's great what he, what he's done. Joshua, if he's the Joshua that everybody thought he was and makes him out to be him, he's got to be able to take care of guys like Andy Ruiz because you know, with all due respect, he is not the second coming of Attila the Hun. You know, he he should probably be a good contender, not heavyweight champion of the world material. So he should be able to take care of that. But I'm kind of of the opinion that the immediate rematch is a foolish move. It Ooh, maybe... I was going to get to that. So you think that's foolish? Why? I just personally think it's such a big gamble. And I wouldn't, it is be, surprised a big gamble. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Ruiz wins the rematch. And I don't really know where Joshua goes from that. I'm not saying it's the end of his career. I think he can continue to have a career. I think if he had two back-to-back -back defeats on the big stage like that, 
I think he will have a downward trajectory career. He'll say that was the best we saw of him and he won't get back to those heights. Now, he may well go in there, get the job done, but, and, and I guess if he does, we'll all have to sort of tip our hats to him, but what a gamble because he's going to be getting in there. All those demons are going to be in his mind. He's going to know that it's happened before. If he hits Ruiz with some great shots, maybe knocks him down. If Ruiz gets up again, he's going to be like, oh my God, this happened before. And in Ruiz's mind, and I feel that the danger for Ruiz is that the newfound stardom goes to his head and he eats too many Snickers, you know, and he comes in. That could be the case. So he might have to ride that wave for what it's worth. Take all that money. Why not? Jim, is there any um, benefit to being fat? Like, say in that division, like, it doesn't... (laughs) Why did you ask Andy that? I'm saying you've coached a lot of fighters, right? And it's like, in that division, being overweight doesn't push you up into the next... We've talked about, should there be a super heavyweight category? But being overweight isn't going to push you up into the next category. So does it give you like an extra layer of sort of... um... It does. I'll give you an example. I've got one fighter, Devontae. He is about six foot one, 285 pounds. He is fast as shit. He's 10 and 2. Yeah. And he's a tremendous boxer. His conditioning could be better, but for that weight division where he's at, it's probably excellent. If he loses 30 pounds, does that help him or hurt him? And I don't know that answer. In theory, yeah, he could be better conditioned light, lighter on his feet, but do you lose some power and mass as a result of that? There's could a good he, argument either way. I've never seen the, the gentleman you're talking about. Could he ever be like 215, 220? No, never. He... If he gets to two... Look, I think if he did everything perfect, he could potentially be 240 without giving up whatever He's like a, a linebacker for football. He's a big dude. But, I think he's a little heavier than he should be right now. Because in my opinion, if Ruiz, if he wasn't so fat, I, I think he might even be like a light heavyweight or a small cruiserweight. He's carrying blubber, right? He's There's carrying between real... him and my friend Devante. He's just a yeah, big dude. I'm sure. Exactly, right. exactly what I could tell by the way you're describing it. I mean, Ruiz is genuinely fat. But for him to lose 30 pounds, maybe... 20 and tighten it up if he loses too much he'll be too small you lose that mass in there and that power and your ability to absorb the shots with Ruiz it's clear that he's a natural boxer he's a natural fighting man he lets his hands go easily he wasn't scared or or uncomfortable to box in close which to less natural fighting men is, is the danger zone they're not so comfortable with it maybe exerts a little less energy because it's all just coming pretty natural. He's more relaxed. I reckon, I think Ruiz did, uh, went the distance with uh, Joseph Parker. Oddly, he's probably better conditioned for a fight than AJ is. And it sounds really kind of weird thing to say, but AJ, I think would be really having to like economically manage himself if he felt that he had to go 12 rounds. Whereas I feel like Ruiz could go 12 rounds I'm not saying that he can necessarily fight at a frenetic pace, and he certainly probably isn't winning any CrossFit championships, but because boxing's <laughs> so natural to him, you know, he can let his hands go, 
and do it. It's, it, it's kind of strange, actually. Well, it's to... about being efficient in there. I can box a lot of rounds because I'm really efficient. I know where to use my energy. It would not be to use my energy. And Ruiz, through his long amateur career and experience, is just really good at that. So you could be not as in good shape on paper as the next guy, look as good, but certainly be better better use of your resources. Or I believe Joshua would tire out after 12 of these. Right. I mean, he had to keep that pace up. The, the guy that was supposed to win is on top in the fight and he's doing what he's got to do to survive. Whereas, like, Ruiz was actually bossing the fight, wasn't he? I he mean, was. he was bossing the fight. He was letting his hands go. He was bringing it. Wasn't holding back. He didn't look like a man who was worried about, like, well, if I don't knock him out, I'm going to run out of gas. Right. Looked like he had the confidence to just go for it. So it's an amazing victory, really. To recap, going back, you'd think the immediate turnaround – but Joshua, it's a big mistake for Joshua. If you had to choose today, you have to make a prediction. Who wins that fight? I do think it's a, a massive gamble. I, I would prefer to see him take a couple of, or, or, or a softer fight or less pressure fight. I'm not talking about fighting people we've not heard of, but fringe contenders or, or top 15 sort of level. Get a bit of confidence back. Cause his career's been quite rushed. I think without some adjustments to his strategy and technique, yeah, I think there's a quite a good chance that Ruiz will actually win in a similar fashion. Right. So you think middle round knockout or stoppage? Yeah. If I, I'm like, yeah. if I'm at, I'm going to put a hundred thousand dollars on this fight. Your recommendation is sixth or seventh <laughs> round Ruiz would stop Joshua. It's a tough one because I know the bookies have already got. Joshua is favourite, and Joshua will, I'm sure, be doing everything he can in his power with his considerable team to get in shape, to get the strategy right, to you know all those things. And I and, and Ruiz may well be doing the opposite. You know, he may well be uh, drinking the cervezas and, and and eating the chocolate and all that sort of stuff. So it's really hard to know exactly what's going to happen. And I do see how. I suppose the correct thing that should happen is that Joshua should go in there and do what he should have done first time around. But I was just so alarmed at how the wheels came off and how comfortable Ruiz looked doing it. It was a bit of a brawl and he was so comfortable with it. Um, and he knows he's done it before. I have a feeling he's going to do it again. How about Tyson Fury with his match? Loved it, actually. I mean, I'd, it's not pay-per-view stuff and it's kind no. of, you know, I know a lot of people get a little bit bent out of shape at the yeah, fact that sold, exactly, we sold that stuff as pay-per-view and Tom Schwartz, blah, 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 blah. But what an entertainer. Loved it from the entrance coming in. Oh, the, the entrance was... Fury knows how to play, without a doubt. Absolutely amazing. But his performance was really good as well because Fury can be frustrating to watch. He usually does just enough. He doesn't put a lot of spite into his work. And he came out orthodox, completely controlled the first round, bit of a feeling out sessions, came out in the second round southpaw, had even more success, was a bit more assertive. Uh, I think at one point, um, Schwartz let go with about seven punches that Fury managed to kind of slip. Yeah, Lomachenko-esque matrix. Style really impressive that stuff. I think Lomachenko 
a bit more graceful when he does that. But he, but yeah, he he bobbed and weaved like you see smaller fighters do. You don't see guys who are six feet nine doing that. Even against a guy of Tom Schwartz's level, I think that's quite impressive. When I'm watching him move his head, you're like, holy fuck, only one of those shots has to hit you right on the button. Extraordinary entertainment. Then he gets out, bap, bap, bap. <laughs> then he got out. What was great was he, 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 did the, he did the kind of, I think Tom Schwartz let go with three, and then, he, then it was like four straight punches. Um, you know, left, right, left, right, and and Fury slipped out of the way of all of them. Then he turned, and he saw a little opening and went, boom, and and, and threw a little kind of uppercut come sort of body shot to his solar plexus as if to say, now have that. Wow, you know, he, he's putting some spite onto it. You know, obviously when he got him in the corner and, and let go with the final flurry that caused the stoppage, you know, he was actually... Um, putting a bit of meat into those punches for Fury, right? Because he, he doesn't really put his foot on the gas to try and stop people. No. So it was good. It was, two, it was entertaining two rounds, and I felt like he showed quite a lot in those two rounds. We saw that he's in good shape, although I think right. he weighed more than he did for the Wilder fight. I guess that's because he's re- slowly replacing some of the fat with muscle. His body composition is changing. Um, sure. He looked fit. The movement was was really good. I, for, I think it's difficult to see any of the heavyweights beating him, really. He is the lineal champ. Do you think he's the best heavyweight out there right now? I do think he's the best heavyweight out there. I don't uh, like all of this constant talk about the lineal stuff. In fact, I thought it was a bit ridiculous that the TV coverage were, were making out like he's defending his lineal championship. Yeah, that's absurd. Crazy, right? So if Tom Schwartz had won, then Tom Schwartz was now the lineal... It's just like what a load of crap, you know. But Yeah, any way to sell it, yeah. Exactly. And But uh, for some people, they're thinking, well, no, no, he Wilder's the WBC, but Fury's got that lineal belt. And you're like, you know, there is actually no such thing as a lineal right. belt. But, no, do, but do you that... think there's any credence to the man who beat the man who beat the man? Because throughout boxing history, it's been fractured multiple times because of the politics in boxing. I want you to fight this guy and say, this guy, if you don't take this matchup, we're stripping you of the title. That's done completely for economic reasons to break it up. And then the guy who really should be the undisputed champion has just part of the belts. And that obviously can't happen in MMA. So I I think think there's some some credence to it. I think there is something there. I mean, at the end of the day, I look at it like, when Wilder beat Klitschko, that was a lot more impressive than when AJ beat Klitschko. Although the AJ v Klitschko fight was far more exciting. Sorry, did I say Wilder? You did. And I was like, boy, I'm really not on top of my boxing because I didn't know that <laughs> fucking happened. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm going to get a new job. See, you know, when Fury beat Klitschko, he was a massive underdog. No one thought he could do it. You know, no one's done it in years. You know, there's something in sort of going in and and beating that, you know, undisputed champ. But at the end of the day, Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. Right, and and you know what? Look what happened to Douglas. You know, after he beat Mike Tyson, and that's when we're talking about Ruiz. Does he take a similar path to that of Douglas? 
Um, and Douglas was a pretty good boxer as well, wasn't he? Was you only have to see the fight with Tyson to, you know, it, the man had skills. You know, it's not like you can just do that in one night out of a hat. Right. I don't. I think Fury's the best out there. I, I, I think he beats Wilder in the rematch. I do. And we're going to see what we get from there. I don't know if Anthony Joshua is going to be back in that mix of those three. Because in my mind, I'm very unsure as to whether he's going yeah, to get past. Unless he comes back and dominates Ruiz and takes him out early. That's how Agreed. we put him back in the max. So Wilder now, with Wilder, he's taking on Ortiz again. You know, that was a pretty good fight. And Ortiz caused Wilder some trouble. In fact, he had Wilder desperately hurt in that, that fight. Not a rematch that he had to take, uh, but he's taken it. I, I do think he'll come through it. I would imagine his confidence is sky high after his fantastic knockout of uh, Brazil. So I do think he gets past Ortiz again. Ortiz must be... I mean, it's another nearly a year, isn't it? So he's got to be right. about 47 now or something. Right. I mean, in that fight, it was 84-85, 84-85, 84-85 for Wilder. And then Wilder, obviously, the, the ref stops the fight, so there was no round 10. But he was very much in that fight the whole time and gave him a lot of trouble. But probably Wilder, you know, th does Wilder have the skill to adjust at all? Is he just a one-trick pony, for lack of a better word? He just yeah, comes out and does the same thing over and over. I think he's probably steadily getting better at that one thing that he does. His jab getting a little bit better. His right cross, and how he sort of throws it off of that, you know, he throws the one-two and what That's getting better. I don't think much else is improving, and I don't see him as a guy that can particularly adjust. It's a shame, isn't it? He has got a lot of athletic abilities, carries massive power got long levers so a lot of good things there but he, he he's he's not a particularly slick boxer a good boxer is he Wilder do you think that Fury boxes again against well there, there, there's talk isn't there that if Dillian White gets past his opponent Rivas that he could fight Fury that's quite interesting actually I actually think that Dylan White is probably got more chance against Fury than Wilder or Joshua. I think you're really? right. I think, because have they confirmed his next match of his Pulev, the Bulgarian guy? Uh, yeah, I think they confirmed. Okay. Which is That's a nobody, thing. nothing should happen, but I, I think you're right. I think White is a, a real good matchup. Well, for, uh, White is improving with every fight. You know, he doesn't give a shit. I mean, he really is up to fight anyone and he's got that style like his his boxing skills are get getting better but he will yeah. kind of walk through it and take a bit of punishment to get you know shots off he's got a great left hook hits really hard like certainly he looks like he hits hard enough that he could you know knock fury out or or at least deck him got no doubt that fury boxes rings around dillian white in that fight but it's a 12 round fight and you could see almost with Dillian White that if he's getting really out of box, I could imagine that he might resort to some dirty boxing, some roughhouse tactics. A bit like he did with Joseph Parker. He just 
outmanned him. So I think that could be a really good fight, actually. I guess all roads lead to Fury v Wilder, too. I think so. That, God willing, will happen. And like, is, is it going to be the first quarter of next year? Is that what they're looking at? I heard the first quarter, but I don't think you can put too much weight on what we hear at the moment, right? They're going to they're gonna build it up as much as they need to build it up. And as we've all seen over the past six weeks, anything can happen. So let's see, you know, yeah. I mean, hey, imagine if Ortiz beats Wilder. That throws it up even more, right? Because basically the only thing thing wrong with Ortiz is his age. If he was a bit younger and fresher, he'd probably be the second best boxer at heavyweight, you know, behind Fury, because he's got some serious skills, Ortiz. How about Golovkin, the Golovkin fight? How'd you like that overhand hook on the top of the head? Did you see that punch? I did. I'm going to practice that. <laughs> I don't think I've ever thrown it exactly like that. Kind of crushed his spine and then finished him. It was right. easy work for Golovkin, yeah. If you look at Golovkin, a lot of his shots, there's an arc to his punches that's kind of a little bit exaggerated almost. Right. I love it. He gets his elbow up. So when he throws his, you know, his like overhand right or his hooks, he kind of gets the elbow up. It looks like he lands with just this perfect trajectory where if you drew a line from through the fist and that point of impact, it sounds a bit scientific what I'm saying. when, When I watch him fight, I've said this for a while, like, you think, what? how has he got so much dynamite in his punches? And the only thing I could see with my own eye it's just this trajectory that he gets on his shots, the way he arcs them, the way he, you know, gets that elbow and it, you know, lands it so, so pucker. So, but yeah, um, I've forgotten the name of his opponent. Some professional I am here, isn't it? <laughs> Is his name Steve Rolls? No. <laughs> I, I thought that was the guy that Golovkin just boxed. Did it? Was it Rolls? I don't even. I was just going to say the opponent did bring it a bit, and, but uh, but it was business as usual. He, I, look, so I think they're going to fight again, saying that they don't really need Golovkin and, you know, it's all about what Alvarez wants and, and whatnot. You know, clearly Golovkin wants the third fight. I don't blame him. Big money fight. I suppose he wants to try and <laughs> prove that he can beat Alvarez. I want to see it because it's a good fight. You know you're going to get probably 12 rounds of high-quality boxing. But I'm not that interested in it just because unless Golovkin knocks Alvarez out, which I can't see happening because it seems like Alvarez is ridiculously sturdy in that department. You know, Alvarez takes it on points regardless of whatever happens. That's how I kind of see it. So not that excited about it, but obviously it will be a good fight. Uh, I think it will happen. Well, I would love to see would be um, a couple of the British fighters in the mix with those two. And I'd love to see Callum Smith fight Alvarez. Callum Smith's super middleweight champion going out there on a bit of a line here. I feel like he's got what it takes to, to beat Alvarez. He's a massive super middleweight, could easily be a light heavyweight, um, very tall. And he's got a fantastic, like short kind of, well, I'd call it like a short left hook. His opponent's coming in 
and you know maybe he throws a right cross and he drops this really fast short left hook as his opponent's coming in and Smith's about six two or six three. He's really tall. Obviously doesn't have the experience of Alvarez. There's a lot of things that we haven't seen because he's not got that experience. But he's huge super middleweight and, and very good. And I, I feel like he might have what it takes to turn up there. And then um, I'd love to see Billy Joe Saunders in the mix, although I'm not not hearing anything to suggest that that's going to happen. But I think that Billy Joe Saunders gives both Canelo or Triple G a hard fight. I'm not sure he beats either of them, but, you know, he's got such slippery, skillful, pure southpaw skills that I think he gives either of them a really good fight. I'd love to see any of those. How about Katie Taylor? Well, I have to confess that I watched that fight. It was very late that on the undercard of Joshua. I'd consumed about a third of my body weight in beer at that point <laughs> of the evening. Apparently both my co-hosts do this on a regular Pretty hammered. But um, what a fight. That was a real war. As I said, it was pretty late. I'd had a few beers. I wasn't scoring it. You know, I've kind of, I think the consensus is that Taylor did enough in the early rounds to, you know, she put enough in the bank in the early rounds. But I, think so. I mean, that was just a war, you know, regardless of, of, of the outcome. I think anybody that maybe wasn't too hot on women's boxing might want to watch that and realize it was probably better than most of the, most of the <laughs> most guys. Of the yeah, most of the you know, men's fights that you see. Yeah, they, they come to at one time women's boxing was just yeah, a lifetime. It was just shunned that it was kind of laughable. Oh. The coaches didn't spend the time with the athletes, and obviously that has changed. I mean, they they really bring it. Every girl I've ever trained has brought a hundred percent into that ring, and, and they're very skilled boxers and very entertaining. As a matter of fact, I just had a, a six-time national champion, world champion, this a sacred down and come to the gym. And, and she, that girl can goddamn box, man. She is something else. So, um, and I've had other, I've, in fact, I've had a gold gloves champion years ago as a, a girl who, who dominated her division. But I, I enjoy it. So there is something to watch out for. Now, holy smokes, what I wanted to bring up to you, unless there's something else you want to cover on this, was my boy Scrap. Did you see the fight? Yeah. Fight number two. <laughs> You shared it on uh, on social, and you know, obviously, I, I wasn't there, but wow! So he's he's had a first round knockout, which was thirty four seconds or something, no, and then 20, he's... 20, 25 seconds. It actually beat Mike Tyson's yeah. knockout record, I guess, in PA. This one he just had that, that. I mean, he just destroyed the guy, right? Right. So the first, so that was the second round. The little you only saw a little cut. First round, he comes out. It was at the Parks Casino in Philly, which is a really kind of nice place. Nice arena, a well-done, well-produced. I, I know the promoters there. Scrap goes out, gets warmed up. We got him good and warmed up. This first fight, he didn't warm up like we wanted him to do. This time, I made sure he he was doing enough of a, a warm-up. I wrap his hands and do everything, and then we go out. First round was a feeling out. Scrap is kind of like a power counterpuncher. He sits back, and he doesn't always go after the guy. He waits. He feels him out. And then when he sees that opportunity to pounce on his opponent, he does. Either he forces his will or that he, he'll he see something and then 
popped that hand there. Essentially, that's what happened. So the first round, that's what happened. The guy threw some shots. Scrap dropped the guy in the first round. And then a guy got up, was relatively saved by the bell. And Scrap started off slow, just waited for that guy to come in and then hit him with that right. Now, what that film does not do justice is that when that guy hit the canvas, it was like someone shot him. I mean, he went and his, his head hit the, the canvas. I heard the thud. I, I said to Tom, the thud. I wasn't sure if it was the thud of the punch or the thud of head hitting canvas because it all happened very quickly. But right. over the noise of the crowd, you know, with the smaller hall type venue, it's right. loud, right? Wow. And you just heard this crack. Right, that was I mean, shot. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, he, he looks like he's a, a real banger. He wasn't always, and over the last couple of years, I've really, and look, we got other coaches too, so I don't want to dismiss them, but we yeah. really work on um, sitting down on the punches and instilling the proper mechanics of how to generate as much as possible. I mean, literally, we'll sit and work that shovel hook or that overhand right, and we drill it, drill it, drill it. How to drop the weight when you come down over, how to turn the, the hand over, the elbow, the all that is trained, and we just do that over and over. So we do all the basic drills, boom, boom, and then we work yeah. on particular punches that I think that he will do real well with. And now, obviously, he's the one who does all that work, but it's my job is to kind of figure out things in the back and try to experiment and try to exploit all the mechanics. And shot. A lot of guys are really technically sound. He is one of them, but there's always room for improvement. You know, how much more can we turn that – foot over how much more can we sink the weight all that is always subject yeah. to to being worked on so you can have another if i'm not mistaken eight fights before he would be at the limit for the olympics if he's going to compete right. in the olympics he can't go over 10 what are you thinking i think it probably won't go to the olympics do you think because of the momentum is that you know if he keeps continuing to win like this and sort of building a fan base and stuff, that it might just make more sense to go for it in the pro game. Right. Well, or... right. So we are fighting again July 20th in Atlantic City. The goal would to be have damn near 10 fights within a year. So within what a month and a half, we're at three. <laughs> and then you'd be, maybe you go for an NABF title, a, a lower level belt. And that will get him exposed to showbox or undercard of a pay-per-view thing, or an HBO or something like that. That fight last week, that little clip has had, I'm thinking around 18,000 to 20,000 views. Awesome. You know? Do you want to wait for the Olympics, or do you want to take the title shot? These are big questions, right? That yeah, title oh. shot, and there's that money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right now, the cool. money's not great, you know, on any level. Scrap said yesterday he's got 3,000 friend requests on Facebook, which is interesting. Oh, did he? Well, he, yeah, he might. I have no idea. But anyway, it is interesting, and we'll see where that ride takes us, and uh, a lot of stuff can happen. You must be excited about it, Jim. Like, no, I'm, you know, I'm worried where, to death. <laughs> where, where this could go. Well, no, it sounds great, Nelk. I'm very happy for which sounds, and Tom finds out with, I just want him to be successful in whatever he does. If it's boxing or bagging groceries, I don't care. Which I have to d dismiss myself from the outcome. I, at some part, will I play a part in it? Sure, I guess so. Uh, it's mostly him, you know. Um, 
and so I, I'm just happy to to help out in that, and uh, it's all good. I mean, I'm just a busy guy doing whatever. Not only managing him, which is a challenge, but we have you know 15 other fucking active fighters, <laughs> plus it, a promotion uh, company. Yeah, exactly. No, you've got a lot of stuff going on. It's, it's awesome. Do you know what? There's a lot of talk about was AJ going to split from Robert McCracken? Rob McCracken, AJ's trainer, was coming under right. a bit of fire for people saying, oh, he wasn't getting the right advice in the corner and all that sort of stuff. On the, the coverage of the event I watched, I only saw a little bit of stuff in the corner and could see AJ saying some unusual things like what punch did he hit me with or what should I do and blah, blah, blah. But I'm not sure what this kind of like you know, amazing advice people were expecting McCracken to give. But what's your take on it? You know, obviously you have been a fighter, you've trained right. fighters. I think at the end of the day, it's ultimately the fighter. 80% fighter, 20%, you know, the people behind the scenes. It's a whole team effort. Everything has to flow to make that work. How, how the training goes, how the management, the fights that you get, everything matters. And by the way, that 20% is huge to make all that happen. Little things can be missed. Advice in the corner. I'm, I'm the kind of cornerman coach who doesn't overcomplicate it. Keep your hands up. Keep moving your right. When he drops his left, throw your right. Something like that. Some guys yeah. are very melodramatic or screaming and yelling. I'm not that guy in the corner. I, I try to keep it calm from what's working, what's not. I'm telling the exact truth. I don't sugarcoat anything in there. Can I say something to a fighter that will change the dynamics of the fight? Yes. Here's the intangible. Will he do it? <laughs> Is another thing. Right. It's easy for me to say, hey, Doc, keep your left up. He's hitting you with the right or whatever. And if you choose not to follow my instructions, and there could be a whole reason why. Maybe the guy's faster. You, your timing, your vision's blurred, blah, blah, blah. I don't have to live that. You're the one who has to live in that storm. That's the challenge. Uh, it's interesting because I'm a, I'm a people watcher and I'm in back watching these coaches, whether it's an amateur event or a professional one, like we just had this weekend. Every coach thinks his shit don't stink. <laughs> Sit down. I'm going to tell you something that's going to change the world. And it's just not. I've heard coaches say, when I train a guy, I'll train anyone to be a champion. No, you won't. The skills have to be there and their willingness to suffer, as David Coggins says, needs to be there. If it is not there, it will not happen. Or, or only superficial. The world is filled with a lot of guys. Trenton, New Jersey is filled with tons of good boxers who stand on the corner, drink booze, and tell you how they could have been great. Yeah. And there's a whole host of reasons well, why. Well, I have a tendency to think that the strategy's got a massive part to playing it at that level when they know who they're fighting. Obviously, we've AJ had to adapt to Ruiz as a sort of late change, but I tend to think that there's a certain amount of advice that you can give in those 60 seconds. And as you right. said, keeping it simple is kind of what I prefer, or maybe a little bit of inspiration or something, you know, you see in the odd fight. But if you, if the trainer, like, just devised the wrong strategy and was giving the wrong advice sure. about the opponent, right. then maybe... You can see where you'd want to put him to task on that. But I thought it was a bit harsh, really, that a lot of people was, were saying, oh, he needs a new trainer, he needs a new trainer. Yeah. It's like, well, and by the way, sometimes having some new energy around helps a fighter, like a new coach or a new perspective. Sometimes that does happen. I don't blame his coach for his loss. There's a whole bunch of elements, a big list of things that 
probably went wrong in his training, in his mind, and all that stuff that kind of allowed that. I don't think there was anything bad about his strategy. I think Ruiz imposed his will on Joshua in that a little bit, you know. But it's just at scraps level, we'll get because we're gonna wrap this up very short. We're going forever. Yeah. Is that you know, the opponents are relatively unknown. They're still in the beginning of their careers. So there's not so much a strategy other than going and imposing your will and doing what you do. You have to be very good at making those adjustments on the spot. There's no lifetime of footage on somebody. And often, you know, that that can do you a disservice, quite honestly. When you I've watched clips of our, our guys we fought and they don't always bring the same dynamic to that fight so if i base his strategy on the footage i've seen which is very selective i might give him the wrong advice from the beginning right so yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. right like i mean i think just kind of goes in and does his thing i don't think he gives a fuck what the guy does when he comes at him because he's not going to change his game plan so when's he next down July 20th, we're fighting Atlantic City. That's the next fight for him. And we have a ton of fighters fighting in the Golden Gloves and then yeah, all kinds of stuff. But we're busy. You know, maybe another one or two guys to go pro. I've created awesome. a monster. <laughs> Tom, how do you feel today, Tom? Very hungover. Very hungover. It was uh, one of my best pals' birthday. All right. Yeah, with just three of us went out for drinks. He's like 41 now, so... Oh, uh, he's practically... Nothing, yeah, practically nothing, nothing too wild, but... <laughs> Jesus, we got through some booze. <laughs> I bet you did. So that's all right, Tom. All right, guys. Awesome show on boxing, man. We'll do it again next month. Peace out. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.